In his book, He Calls Me Friend, John Perkins writes, there's been a lot of talk about friendship because of Facebook and the internet. You can collect friends and likes and begin to feel pretty good about yourself depending on how many you accumulate. Our foundation, the John and Vera Mae Perkins Foundation, has about 3,500 likes right now, and I suppose that's pretty good. But I'm not sure that's the kind of friendship that is strong enough to carry us through and across the hard lines that have isolated us from each other. I think you can actually have a lot of these kinds of social media friends and still be lonely, separated, and afraid. Columnist E.J. Dion Jr. tells of a conversation Mark Dunkelman had 20 years ago with his grandfather, a retired salesman. They talked about how to find the best restaurants in an unfamiliar city. Mark was excited about a new app that would make it easy for people to find the best places to eat and that would even show them which restaurants were nearby. But his grandfather was not as eager to embrace this new technology. He said that whenever he went on a sales trip to a new place, he would look for a friendly-looking stranger and ask him to recommend a good place to eat. In the process, this stranger would often become a new friend and someone that he would see when he returned to the city. That's how I got to understand the world, by talking to strangers, the older man said. With all these fancy technologies you're talking about, how are people going to get to know one another? You ask me, I think it's going to make everyone lonely. And sure enough, it seems that in this supposedly more connected social media world we live in, people are seemingly more isolated and lonelier. Friendships are superficial and inauthentic, and we genuinely know little about a person other than where they went on vacation this past weekend, what they ate for dinner last night, and the fake reality they want us to believe about their lives. Deep, genuine, life-giving friendships with people you can journey together in this life with are sadly missing in our digital world because either we don't seek out a community of friends or the friends we have do not influence us positively. Friends and friendships in our lives are so important that the Bible has much to say about this matter in the book of Proverbs. As we continue our sermon series, Foolproof, A Guide to Wise Living, Let's focus on what the Bible says are the types of friends we are to have and the type of friend we are to be for others as their friend. I think it's important, first of all, to be reminded of the importance of having friends and cultivating deep friendships. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. This proverb reminds us that it's not good for people to live in isolation. We were created by God to live in community, to have friends. I realize there may be extremely introverted individuals who feel as if they don't need friends to survive in this world. However, they would be mistaken. Even the most private person needs a friend for their own good. The Bible says the God who created us never created us to live in isolation. We should seek to have friends. In fact, this verse tells us that someone who isolates himself or herself without putting in the time and effort to make friends will do themselves a great disservice because he or she will be lacking in wise judgment, which comes from the input 
of others. The Bible is clear about our need to be in community. In fact, this principle is repeated in the New Testament. The admonition in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, is for us not to give up the habit of meeting together physically and regularly in the context of Christian fellowship. Because the more isolated we are from our Christian friends and the church community we are part of, the more detrimental it will be to our spiritual walk. That's why Christians who say they don't need to go to church or be involved in the church community would be wrong and in fact be living contrary to what the Bible teaches. It is in Christian friendships and a church community where we fulfill many of our responsibilities as Christ followers. You see, my friends, it's impossible to love one another, to encourage one another, to help one another, as the Bible so commands, if there is no others in your life by which to bless and help. Conversely, who will love us, encourage us, and help us spiritually if we're not actively a part of a church? You and I cannot do the work of the Great Commission if we are not making an effort to have friends and to live in community. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 10, further talks about the importance of cultivating deep and genuine friendships. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 10, Do not forsake your own friend or your father's friend, nor go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor nearby than a brother far away. This verse explicitly tells us that friends are important and to have them. Because when you need help, having a present and available friend nearby is more useful than a family member who can also help but lives far away. For example, if your house catches on fire and you lose everything, who would you call first to look for temporary housing and lodging? A close friend who lives nearby or a family member who lives in Singapore? Or if you run out of eggs while in the middle of cooking dinner, is it easier to ask to borrow an egg from your next-door neighbor friend or to ask your brother living in the U.S. to send you eggs? I hope you see my point. The Bible is very clear. If you don't have any close friends you can call on for help, then you will find it very difficult to live this life. We were created by God to live in community. And that's why the Bible teaches about the practical importance of having good friends and being part of a church community. Now, what do we need to look for in a friend? Let me give you six things the book of Proverbs teaches us to look for. Now, turn to me to Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. Proverbs 13, 20. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. This verse teaches that the type of friends we are to surround ourselves with are friends who are wise and not foolish. Because simply put, the friends we have either positively or negatively influence us. While we tell ourselves we can exert positive peer pressure to influence our worldly friends for Christ, the sad reality is that we are often being influenced away from Christ's likeness. If you don't believe me, let me ask you this question. When was the last time you were with your circle of friends, either as an adult or a young person, and you told your friends that what they were talking about was inappropriate, whether it be an inappropriate joke or you seeing curse words? You probably didn't speak up because you were afraid of what they would think about you. And perhaps you may be that one friend 
who is now on the outside looking in among your circle of friends. This verse also implies that we have a choice of the friends we have and surround ourselves with. It is our choice of how much we want to invest in any relationship, whether toxic or helpful. My friends, you are never stuck with a group of friends. You can always choose to make new ones based on how your friends influence you and affect you. This is because the Bible tells us the power of influence will often subtly rub off on you without you knowing. Look at what Proverbs chapter 22, verses 24 to 25 says. Proverbs 22, verses 24 to 25. Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man do not go, lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. Here the verse warns us not to be friends with someone who is always short-tempered and angry, because his temperament will rub off on you, and you will eventually learn and adapt his impatient ways. Or for example, if your friends are always demanding that they be served first, or first in line, or exhibit an entitled mentality, you will soon mimic their entitled traits. Just think about how subtly words work into our vocabulary when used by friends. In the 90s, we referred to each other, guy buddies, as my man, my man. And in the 2000s, it was my brother. In the 2010s, it was my bro. And now it's just bro. No one got together and said, let's now call each other my brother or bro. We naturally adjusted our vocabulary to words our friends use. You know, when I was young, my mom was very strict about whom I hung around with and called friends. I wasn't even allowed to go over to their house to spend the night. Mom always wanted to know where I was going and whom I was with. And frankly, I was always so annoyed with my parents for asking so many questions about my personal friendship life, especially as a teenager. But now as a parent myself, I ask my children the very same questions I hated to hear from my parents. Where are you going? Who are you going with? Who are their parents? Do they attend church? How do you know them? What school do they attend? Are they girls or guys? How many are going? And because of technology today, I have a new one. Send us a picture of where you say you're going with the friends you told us you're going with. I'm sure my teenagers hate all of these questions, but we as parents ask them because as adults who have lived life, we know how important friends are to influence both positively or negatively. Look, we should not be so naive to think that just because someone attends church or went to a Christian school that they would not negatively influence us. It was my church friends growing up who taught me how to make and play with napalm, which is a highly flammable chemical. Using it, we almost burned down our church in Texas because while bored one Sunday afternoon, we tried to simulate Moses in the burning bush with a tree next to the church building. My buddies and I used to sneak onto the roof of the church and throw rocks and pebbles at the people coming to church and have them wonder why it was raining rocks. Sadly, one of the boys I grew up with is now sitting in U.S. federal jail for trying to blow up a natural gas pipeline in North Texas with a pipe bomb. 
And mind you, these friends of mine were mostly all elders and deacons' kids, and I was the pastor's kid. The friends we have influence us positively or negatively. So the first thing we need to look for in a friend is a friend who influences positively. This is our first biblical principle, finding friends, number one. A friend who influences positively. A friend who influences positively. Again, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20 reminds us, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. Wisdom is not only taught, it's caught. But then again, so is foolishness. Character is contagious. My friends, surround yourselves with friends who influence you positively. As Stuart Strachan writes, context matters. According to the Turman study, which followed 1,000 study participants from childhood until their death, the people we surround ourselves with are who we become. We see those around us slacking off, we become less motivated. When we see people performing selfless acts, we become selfless. Who you surround yourself with, especially at an early age, is likely to make a significant impact on the person you ultimately become. You are who you surround yourself with. You are who you surround yourself with. So if you realize you have some friends who influence you negatively and away from a relationship with Jesus Christ, you may want to consider reevaluating that friendship. Perhaps you can be like this man. A person dialed the wrong number and got the following recording. I'm not available right now, but I thank you for caring enough to call. I'm making some changes in my life. Please leave a message after the beep. If I do not return your call, you are one of the changes. Now on the flip side, let me ask you a question. Are you a positive influence on others? Does your walk and talk influence your friends towards Christ-likeness? How are we influencing our friends? Now turn with me to Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. This proverb speaks about the value of a friend who is always available when you need them. While family members have cultural expectations and familial obligations to help one another in need, noted by the phrase, born for adversity, a true friend doesn't have the same expectations and obligations, and yet still loves at all times. A friend chooses to love you, while a brother, in a sense, is obligated to love you. And note that the love of a true friend isn't just in times of adversity, but at all times. This does not mean you're always to be with your friends 24-7 all the time. In fact, we find out in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 17, that too much of a good thing can also lead to a decline in friendship. Proverbs 25, verse 17. Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house, lest he become weary of you and hate you. A friend that loves at all times means you have a friend whom you can turn to in all seasons of life, in the hard times, in the good times, in the mundane times, in the changing times, and all the in-between times. You see, the second thing we need to look for in a friend is, number two, a friend who is available. 
a friend who is available? Is the friend you have there for you in your time of need? Are they only there for you during your happy times or to get something from you? You can tell if someone is a true friend or not if they only have time for you when they need something from you. True friendships require time and effort to cultivate quality time away from the workplace and group studies. True friends don't need a real reason to get together other than to simply want to catch up. Look for friends who are available. On the flip side, are you a friend who is available? In the busyness of our schedules, are we willing to sacrifice time and activities just so we can be available and present in the lives of our friends? Sam Rayburn from Texas was the powerful speaker of the United States House of Representatives, serving in that position longer than any other person in U.S. history. There's a story about him that reveals the kind of man he really was. The teenage daughter of a friend of his died suddenly one night. Early the next morning, the man heard a knock on his door, and when he opened it, there was Sam Rayburn standing outside. The speaker said, I just came by to see what I could do to help. The father replied in his deep grief, I don't think there's anything you can do, Mr. Speaker. We are making all the arrangements. Well, Mr. Rayburn said, have you had your coffee this morning? The man replied that they had not taken time for breakfast. So Mr. Rayburn said that he could at least make coffee for them. While he was working in the kitchen to make coffee, the man came in and said, Mr. Speaker, I thought you were supposed to be having breakfast at the White House this morning. Well, I was, Sam Rayburn said, but I called the president and told him I had a friend who was in trouble and I couldn't come. As a friend, sometimes you don't have to say anything. You don't have to do anything. You just have to be available and present. And perhaps like Sam, just to go and make or get someone coffee. Now turn with me to Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. Proverbs 18, verse 24. A man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. The first part of this proverb may be hard to understand, but it points to the reality that if someone has many friends, some of them may not be true friends. Because with many friends, it is hard to really know if someone's friendliness is genuine or phony. In contrast, you know who your true friends are if they stick with you through difficult and challenging times. Because if they are not your friends only to get something out of you, then they will stand by you even if you're struggling. As Bruce Waltke says, the significance of friends is found in their quality, not quantity. It's never been about social media likes, follows, and friends. Those are all superficial friends in the loosest sense of the word. Because how many of your internet friends will really come to your aid or help if, for example, you have a flat tire, or you need someone to accompany you to the hospital, or you're desperately looking for money or for food, or to look for a place to stay for a month? A friend who sticks with you through the difficult times of your life is a true friend. They are the ones who check in on you to make sure you are okay. They are the ones who are sensitive enough to notice if something is wrong with you and you're not yourself. They're the ones who encourage you by holding you tight and crying with you 
through your difficulties. They're the ones who actually pray for you and with you instead of just simply saying they will. When was the last time you prayed for someone over the phone or in person when you knew they were going through something instead of just simply telling them you'll pray for them? You see, the third thing we want to look for in a friend is number three, a friend who stays through difficult times. A friend who stays through difficult times. As you're looking for these types of people who will stand by your side when the going gets tough, are you a friend who does the same thing for others? Do you shy away from your friends because you know getting involved in their lives will be messy? Or do you jump in because you know that is the time you are needed the most? A British publication once offered a prize for the best definition of a friend. Among the thousands of answers received were the following. A friend is one who multiplies joy, divides grief, and whose honesty is never broken. A friend is one who understands our silence. A friend is a volume of sympathy bound in cloth. A friend is a watch that beats true for all time and never runs down. But the winning definition read this. A friend is one who comes in when the whole world has gone out. A friend is truly one who comes in and stands with you when the whole world has gone out. One of my favorite stories is of friends, Jim and Philip. Though Jim was just a little older than Philip and often assumed the role of leader, they did everything together. They even went to high school and college together. After college, they decided to join the Marines. By a unique series of circumstances, they were sent to Germany together where they fought side by side in one of history's ugliest wars. One sweltering day during a fierce battle, amid heavy gunfire, bombing, and close quarters combat, they were given the command to retreat. As the men were running back, Jim noticed that Philip had not returned with the others. Panic gripped his heart. Jim knew if Philip was not back in another minute or two, then he wouldn't make it. Jim begged his commanding officer to let him go after his friend, but the officer forbade the request, saying it would be suicide. Risking his own life, Jim disobeyed and went after Philip. His heart pounding, he ran into the gunfire, calling out for Philip. A short time later, his platoon saw him hobbling across the field, carrying a limp body in his arms. Jim's commanding officer abraded him, shouting that it was a foolish waste of time and an outrageous risk. Your friend is dead, he added, and there was nothing you could do. No, sir, you're wrong, Jim replied. I got there just in time. Before he died, his last words were, I knew you would come, Jim. I knew you would come. I knew you would come. Is that the type of friend we are to others? Is that the type of friends we have? One of the marks of a true friend is that he or she is there when there's every reason for him or her not to be there, and when being by your side is sacrificially costly. Can your friends always say of you, I knew you would come. I knew you would come. Now turn with me to Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17. Proverbs 27, verse 17. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. 
This is a wonderful verse often used for the importance of life-on-life discipleship among friends. You see, friendships are not only for hanging out or having someone to be with. It is to encourage each person in the friendship to better themselves, to be a better husband, to be a better wife, to be a better father, to be a better mother, to be a better child, to be a better you with the ultimate goal of being more Christ-like. You see, two blades left isolated will become dull and eventually useless. But like a knife sharpening stone, two pieces of iron blades against each other will sharpen the other, rendering both effective and useful. You see, the Bible teaches that we are to look for friends, number four, who challenge us towards Christ-likeness. A friend who spurs us towards Christ-likeness. A friend who spurs us towards Christ-likeness. Is that the type of friend you are? Spurring others towards Christ-likeness? Genuinely Goodwin shares the story. I lost my wallet. It was not in my purse, and I knew I'd had it that morning. I ran crazily through the house, thinking one of the girls took it. Nothing. Check the van, the driveway, nothing. Talk about scared. I had a deposit in that wallet that we could not lose. My heart was pounding. Jeremy, my husband, was home, and we were about to leave for dinner. But we decided to stop at the church since that was where I'd seen it last. I felt sick all the way to the church. When we got there, we ran in. Jeremy checked the meeting room, and I went to the offices. A friend was in the office area. I told her what I was missing, and she said, You know, when I lose something, the first thing I do is pray. I tell God that He knows where it is and ask Him to show me. And she smiled. Ouch. I had to tell her that I hadn't even stopped for a second to pray. Ouch again. What? I hadn't prayed? My wallet was missing, and I hadn't prayed. Her reminder was perfect. I needed to pray. Actually, she prayed, and I thanked her. I left the offices feeling sharpened, feeling challenged, feeling ready. I found my wallet a few minutes later in a place I would never have thought to look. Not the office, not a meeting room. I found my missing wallet in the bathroom. Yes, the bathroom. I tell you this story, this dull and need-sharpened moment, because I spent about 30 minutes of craziness running on my own strength, memory, and ability. I didn't go to God. I didn't acknowledge Him first. And it took a friend to point that out to me. Do you have a friend that sharpens you towards Christ-likeness? Are you someone who sharpens others towards Christ-likeness? Now look with me at Proverbs chapter 27, verses 5 and 6. Proverbs 27, verses 5 and 6. Open rebuke is better than love, carefully concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Here the Bible tells us very clearly that a friend is one who advises and rebukes out of love. They have the courage to admonish you if you're wrong and call out the blind areas, the blind spots in your life. Don't cancel someone. Don't unfriend someone who is willing to call you out because they are your true friends. Someone who only speaks good things to you are not really good friends. The Bible is so full of practical wisdom. Real friends warn and speak truth into your life. 
If you see your friends engage in self-destructive actions, would you call them out to save them? Sadly, in our generation today, young and old, we are often too afraid to speak up for what is right, and in some extreme cases, even validate and justify a friend's self-destructive feelings and behavior. I'm not sure if you've heard of the tragic true-life case of Michelle Carter and Conrad Roy III, whose story was dramatized by both HBO and Hulu. On July 13 of 2014, authorities discovered the body of 18-year-old Conrad Roy III in his pickup truck parked outside a Kmart in Fairhaven, Massachusetts. The honor roll student who struggled with social anxiety and depression had killed himself by attaching a hose from a portable generator and filling his car's cab with carbon monoxide. In the weeks leading up to his suicide, Roy exchanged several texts with his 17-year-old long-distance girlfriend, Michelle Carter, who encouraged him to end his life. You keep pushing it off and say you'll do it, but you never do. It's always going to be that way if you don't take action, she reportedly texted him on the day he died. In dozens of text messages that came to light during the trial, Carter pushed Roy to end his life and continued to do so when he hesitated. She even provided step-by-step instructions via text message about exactly what he should do. Carter was convicted of involuntary manslaughter in 2017. She was released early from prison after serving only 11 months of her 15-month sentence. This now infamous case raised national questions about mental health and whether one teen can be held responsible for the suicide of another. Michelle and Conrad were certainly not friends as the Bible defines friendship. Can you imagine not saying anything or saying the right thing when we see a friend become self-destructive? You see, when looking for a true friend, we need to fitly look for, number five, a friend who advises and corrects. A friend who advises and corrects. Along these lines, a few verses down in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 9, it says this, Proverbs 27, verse 9, Ointment and perfume delight the heart, and the sweetness of a man's friend gives delight by hearty counsel. A friend's counsel and correction should be as pleasant and acceptable as perfume is to our smell. Just as giving genuine advice and correction shows that a person cares, we should humbly accept advice and rebuke from a loving friend. Just as we give advice and correction as a friend, we should also be willing to humbly accept the same from a friend. Finally, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 17, verse 9. Proverbs 17, verse 9. He who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. This proverb is a simple reminder that good friends forgive. They don't continue to bring up past mistakes and transgressions because doing so and becoming historical will separate even the closest of friends. Just like when God forgives us of our sins, He remembers our sins no more, meaning He doesn't use it against us to condemn us in the future because our sins have been forgiven through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Forgiving doesn't mean gaslighting it and saying it never happened. Forgiving doesn't mean there won't be any consequences. Forgiving doesn't mean we can't admit and acknowledge that we were deeply hurt by what was done. 
Forgiving someone means it no longer affects our relationship because I love you. You see, a great quality to look for in a friend is this. Number six, a friend who forgives. A friend who forgives. As someone wrote in a secular journal, there's no sugarcoating it. It hurts to be hurt by a friend. When a friend wrongs you, you may question whether the friendship is worth keeping. Yet even if you feel uncertain about whether you can fix the friendship, practicing forgiveness could be good for your mental health on top of good for your relationship. A 2017 study found that greater forgiveness is associated with less stress and better mental health. Another 2017 study also found forgiveness has strong ties to feeling positive emotions, positive relations with others, a sense of purpose in life, and a greater sense of empowerment. Thus, forgiveness may be worth exploring while you explore if the friendship is worth saving. My friends, if the secular world realizes the powerful effects of forgiveness in a friendship which corroborates the truth of the Scripture, then we should forgive regardless if our friends are willing to forgive us or not. We can only control our actions and emotions. We cannot control that of others. We can forgive. So in summary, as you look for a friend or assess your current friendships and even evaluate yourself as a friend, are you or do you have, number one, a friend who influences positively, number two, a friend who is available, number three, a friend who stays through the difficult times, number four, a friend who spurs us towards Christ-likeness, number five, a friend who advises and corrects, number six, a friend who forgives. My friends, there's one friendship that all of us need to cultivate, and that is a deep, intimate friendship with Jesus Christ. He is always available during our times of loneliness and need, and will never leave us nor forsake us. He tells us He wants the best for us and shows us how we are to live our lives through His words in the Scriptures so that we can receive all of life's best. And He forgave us of our sins by dying on the cross for us because of His great love so that we can receive the best gift of all when we place our trust in Him, the gift of life eternal. Jesus tells us in John chapter 15, verses 13 to 15, John 15, verses 13 to 15, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. In Jesus' own words, he calls us friend and desires to be in relationship with us. He genuinely desires to be our friends, and it cost him his own life. He willingly laid down his life for us, his friend. The greatest friend you can ever have is Jesus Christ. I hope we will spend time with him because his is a friendship worth investing time and effort cultivating. Let me end with the words from a famous hymn written by Joseph Scriven. But before I read the lyrics, you may want to know about Scriven's life to help you appreciate the hymn more. Scriven was an Irish immigrant to Canada. He enrolled in a military college to prepare for his army career. However, poor health forced him to give up that ambition. Soon after came a second blow. 
His fiance died in a drowning accident on the eve of their wedding. He moved to Ontario, and 11 years later, his plans for marriage were dashed again when his new bride-to-be died after a short illness. Following this calamity, Scriven seldom had a regular income, and he was forced to live in the homes of others. He also experienced mistrust from neighbors who did not appreciate his work with the underprivileged. As a member of the Plymouth Brethren denomination, Scriven tried to live according to the Sermon on the Mount as literally as possible, giving and sharing all he had and often doing menial tasks for the poor and physically disabled. Because his life was filled with grief and trials, and it seemed at times all of his friends abandoned him, Scriven often needed the solace of the Lord as he wrote these words. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrow share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. What a wonderful reminder that you are our greatest friend, a friend who laid down his life for us. And because of what you did on the cross, we have life eternal. Thank you that you never leave us nor forsake us and that you always are present and available in whatever circumstance we are going through. And because of the great friend that you are, help us to be great friends to those in need. Help us to be wonderful friends who will correct, rebuke, and advise when needed. Help us to spur others towards Christ-likeness. Lord, we need to reevaluate the friends in our life because they negatively influence us. May we have wisdom to do so. Father, if there are those who are looking for a friend, may they find a wonderful friend in you and find a wonderful community in this church. Help us, Lord, to cultivate friends and friendships that are Christ-centered. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.